From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Spreading lies is not new in politics, but slickly packaged fictions move faster, wider, and deeper in the digital age, as satirized by Stephen Colbert on The Colbert Report in 2005. And that brings us to tonight's word. Truthiness. <laughs> now, I'm sure some of the word police are going to say, hey, that's not a word. Well, I'm no fan of dictionaries or reference books, constantly telling us what is or isn't true or what did or didn't happen. Who's Britannica to tell me the Panama Canal was finished in 1914? If I want to say it happened in 1941, that's my right. Well, after the election of President Trump in 2016, concepts like alternative facts and post-truth became buzzwords. And calling something fake news increasingly a blunt instrument for discrediting stories, whether based in fact or not. Well, that term is also being used to educate students at Emory University. History 190, fake news, is one of dozens of evidence-focused seminars intended to prepare first-year students for college-level research. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Judith Miller. She's a Associate Professor of History at Emory University. She's been teaching the fake news course for the last two years. Dr. Miller, thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. We're delighted to be here. Also with me, Natalia Thomas, first-year student who took the fake news course last summer. Natalia, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for letting us be on the show. Well, I'm glad to hear about it. Judith, I'm going to start with you, history professor who focuses on 18th century France and the French Revolution. What's the connection between French history and contemporary fake news? Well, if you think about 18th century France, and this will sound, I think, rather familiar, rising literacy rates, increasing rates of urbanization, and a media revolution. So many people publishing in newspapers, many more readers, and some of the most wild stuff is getting published. Uh, political pornography about what is really going on at the court. Uh, some of this stuff is very straightforward news, but some of the most wild stuff is the, were the things that really took off. And people were awash in, in media in the late 18th century. And of course, one thinks then the French Revolution and the terror and the kinds of rumor and conspiracy theories that drove that. So I actually, when I developed the course, I thought that I would start with the French Revolution and come up to the present. But it turned out Emory students were very interested in the late 20th century. So here I am, a French historian teaching 20th century U.S. history. Life is full of ironies. <laughs> well, Natalia, you just finished taking the, the course in your first yes. semester at Emory. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to take the fake news class? Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C. As we all know, it's the nation's capital. So I've always been surrounded by politics. And I've always been interested in it. And when I saw fake news as an option, I was very intrigued. Um, last year, in my senior year of high school, Lester Holt actually came to visit our school to talk about fake news, but, you know, only briefly. So I really wanted to take a course that would dive into what fake news is, how and why it spreads. Well, yeah. I'd love to talk a little mm -hmm. bit about the curriculum. As one of uh, Emory's, quote, evidence-focused courses, this class is structured heavily around research assignments, whether mm -hmm. in groups or individually. So as part of the first assignment, which you uh, call the library scavenger hunt, Judith, students choose from a list of fake historical news stories that rocked public opinion and culture at the time. First, how did you choose which stories? Well, I just kind of keep my eyes open as the year goes along and look for things that might intrigue students. You want to have topics that will get them into the library. This is really called boot camp for the, for the library. I love this assignment. But 
I kind of keep my eyes and ears open for things that I think would be interesting enough to students and be hard to research so that they really have to get into the library, work with the librarians, finding all sorts of good sources. So it has to be obscure and difficult. Uh, that will, so yeah. what would be an yes. example of one of those stories? Um, well, I, I get things from all over the world. So, for instance, one of the students that chose last year a topic that had to do with a photograph of the Turkish, prime, Turkish president with a soccer player that caused a scandal. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that you've got to get into the library to track that all down and see that this really happened... Um, yeah, and then we had some other things. The Planned Parenthood baby parts scandal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Less obscure, but certainly consequential. So I also look for things that are consequential. Natalia, which one did yeah. you choose to research? Yeah, so I did the post about how apparently illegal refugees were getting $3,874 a month, while Americans were getting Social Security checks averaging about $1,200 a month. And how did you chase that down? Yeah, so... Well, I first was interested in it because my mom is an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. So I really want this topic really focused on, you know, xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned how this post was actually happening during the time of the 2016 election. So I connected saying, oh, OK, during this time, they um, this post was meant to make Americans target immigrants and want them to not, you know, be welcome into this country. Right. So, Well, so, in, Judith, you mentioned librarians. That, um, librarians at Emory are apparently an integral part of this. And if, I think a lot of people might think, a librarian? <laughs> I mean, we just go to the Internet. How did, how, did you, how did you wish people – what do you want people to know about library sciences and how they research? Well, first, I have to say, I think the librarians are going to save us. Um, but they are at the absolute forefront of thinking about access to sources. How do you evaluate sources? Our librarians are so uh, – we work especially Chela Vallinathan in the Emory Library, who's our world history librarian, will work students through an exercise of looking at website information. How do you evaluate it? How do you find out more about the author? How do you see other things that are on this website? She does an absolute fabulous job. And then an important part of what we do is get the students in deep into the library, getting books out of the library, looking at databases for journal articles so that they can really begin seeing what scholars and experts say about the field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Librarians, I'll say also the writing center. It's a team effort that they also really push the students on, you know, looking at their sources and documentation. Judith Miller there, Dr. Judith Miller, Associate Professor of History at Emory University. She teaches a course on fake news literacy for first-year students. Natalia Thomas took that course at Emory last semester. So, Natalia, since taking this course, do you feel like the way that you consume news has changed? Yes, I definitely do. I used to just take what I read at face value. I didn't really dive deeper into, okay, is this source actually legitimate? Is what what they're saying actually true? So I've learned to be more cautious about what I'm consuming and make sure to check multiple news sources and see what they're saying about How do do you think that compares to your peers and how they read the news or consume it? So, I mean, as a teenager, I know that we we live in the age of social media. And I feel that it's very common for us teenagers to read a headline, just read that article and use that article as our only, you know, knowledge or 
use that to form our opinion just mm-hmm. on that one source. So I, I feel that it's how I'm different is that I'm now taking more steps to read multiple sources rather than just one to gain knowledge about certain issues. Right. So you mm-hmm. now know that immigrants or refugees were not receiving yes. those kind of checks, right? <laughs> yes. And and you can see where that goes. A lot of what you looked at through this course was at older news stories that were later proved false or at least not completely true, but we have the benefit of hindsight for that. Is it possible to spot a fake news story as it's happening? Judith, do you want to pick that up? I I think, well, first, one can just look at what the source is, what else is on that website, what do you know about the author? But I think also that you need to have some sort of a gut check. Is there something about this news story that is going to try to sow division along Divides that we already know about in society, whether it's along race or class or religious ethnicity or along political issues. And if it seems like there's a chance that this is trying to deepen divisions, then I think your skepticism meter needs to, to go up. Mm-hmm. I think we, well, that, we just yeah. heard for, during the newscast about the, the fake video of, of Nancy Pelosi. Now, technology can make things look differently. How do, how do you advise students to gut check that? Oh, boy. Well, I think there it's you've got a couple very easy, fast things you can do. And again, it is really look at the source. Can you find this out there on other sources uh, that are perhaps more Mainstream news, I I think there's an awful lot to be said for mainstream news for the kinds of qualities that someone who has a real journalistic training, sourcing, evidence um, can, can very much help there. Well, the, and in previous iterations of this course, you taught about the psychology behind the susceptibility right. to believing false news. What is it about a fake news story that is so appealing? Well, I think that the packaging has gotten so very smart, slick with music, with the kinds of editing, with the kinds of visual images, with the kinds of headlines you put on it where you can, you know, really get someone's attention. Almost the more extreme, the more likely it is for somebody will want to read it. Mm-hmm. And there I have to say, my French Revolution training <laughs> certainly comes into the... <laughs> Off with it's certainly head. appropriate, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, so for you, for um, Natalia, mm-hmm. when you see this kind of stuff, and if, if people pass it around on Facebook, are you in the... Or, or TikTok or whatever, <laughs> whatever the kids are using <laughs> these days, um, do, you, do you stop it? Do you, do you call people on it? Well, I'm not actively involved in mm-hmm. social media as much. I just um, read different articles. Mm-hmm. But I like to have discussions with my family members, especially my uncle, on news and my brother as well. So if I see something, I'll talk about it with them and just see what, what um, sources that have they heard about that. Mm-hmm. Like, what did they see? What did like, yeah, like it's interesting because it's it seems to be pointing us towards a lot of legacy media, you know, sort of a lot mm-hmm. of established media. If you're talking about mainstream news, which of course uh, people, uh, especially mm-hmm. on the extreme right and on the extreme left, will mm-hmm. call the lamestream mm-hmm. news. Well, Judith, this is a class for Emory undergrads. Any tips for someone who's looking to be a better news consumer who isn't able to enroll in the course? Oh my! Well, I would say. We can look at maybe the example of Finland, if you'll let me go there for a second, is that Finland has been very good at combating fake news. And one of the things one sees is that the uh, Finns read more than people in the U.S. do. So I would say start by reading more, which that's a personal decision, and who knows who has time to do that. But 
finding out more about the world, being more curious about the world, is so important. And I think as much as one wants to hope that Facebook will uh, start putting up more guardrails, I think so much comes back to us as individual readers and individual individual citizens to decide to do the work that will protect, I think, democracy, not just in the U.S., but around the world. So read more, become more curious about the world around you so that you have a better frame of reference for the things that are coming at you. Well, we have an extreme finophile on her staff who's going to be very, very happy to hear that. Natalia, what were some of your biggest takeaways from this class, do you think? Well, yes, I learned um, when Ever you want to analyze a fake news event, you need to look at the context um, behind that event. So looking at, you know, the political environment, the social environment, <clears throat> excuse me, and the, <clears throat> the racial environment, what is happening during the time of when this fake news event is spreading, because that can give you a lot of hints as to why people are so susceptible to believing it. Um, for example, um, one of the projects I worked on was the Central Park Five case, mm -hmm. and we did a whole. My classmates and I got to do a whole class session on it, and this was happening in New York, late 1980s. And there's always been this um, um, view that black men are aggressive, and that they like that they are aggressive, and that they like to target white women. So just analyzing the context behind. Why certain events spread is important. Good time to do that. A terrific documentary about the now vindicated five, they're called. Natalia Thomas, mm -hmm. first-year student at Emory University. Dr. Judith Miller, associate professor of history at Emory University. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We talked about the fake news class for first-year students, helping them develop media literacy and research skills. We'll be back with more of On Second Thought in just a minute, seeing from some giants in the design field.